0: Having chatted a lot to Jason Day about this during COVID as well, it's running through the fire. You know, when the heat is on and you're in a tough situation, it's having the balls to embrace it with both hands and go for it.
1: And welcome back. Welcome aboard another part train. I'm one of your co hosts, Evan Singer. Matt Cermak is with me. What's up, Evan? It's great to be back. He's fired up. Just so you guys <laughs> know, He was wearing a vest for the recording goes to the bathroom before we record the intro. And now is back in a blazer. I went from Superman to Clark Kent. We're having fun. We got a great episode for you guys this week. But first, first, if your golf game's off the rails, if you're sick of riding the struggle bus, you come to the right place. The part train helps frustrated golfers. Enjoy the ride again, because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We unpack the mental game with PJ Tour Pros, bestselling author, CEO, sports psychologist, everyday golfers like you and me and more make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. Before we get to this episode with Trotty, Chris Trot from TaylorMade, as I'm sure a lot of you guys follow on social media, this episode is presented by Roback Activewear. Our friends at Roback, people are constantly coming up to me, and anytime they see Roback on, it's like this little community and everybody this is i'll say this sir little community it's a big community but <laughs> one thing i'll say real quick is i still laugh at how shocked people are at how good roback is mm. it's like we've been talking mm. about it for years but people still don't believe it until they put on a hoodie a polo joggers a vest it's that
2: good it's and it's constant they're always innovating too i just got my cousin jimmy a 50 dollar gift card to roback and he goes I'm getting one of these visors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, old school, kind of classic, kind of Southern. Uh-huh. Davis loves visor, but it's stuff like that, right? The, the, everything on Roback.com is so good.
1: Yeah. So go to Roback.com. I always recommend starting with the hoodie. I mean, you can't really beat the hoodie or a polo. Is I mean, there staples? You want to talk about comfort with the hoodie? Jeez. It's the you most got, comfortable hoodie in the world. 14, so, I think. Yeah. yeah, 14. Go to Roback.com, enter the code train get 15% off. If the code doesn't work, you've probably used it before. Use a different email, do whatever you have to do, or go to our bio on Instagram at the part tap that link in there. It'll auto apply in your cart. If you forget the code. Easy. So thanks to Roback as always for the love and support. But I think Surmax really fired up about this episode because Trotty, if you follow him, he's basically the face of TaylorMade now. He is yep. the face of the brand. He does a lot of amazing content, former pro played all throughout Europe, Asia, Australia, but I don't think a lot of people hear Trotty talk about his playing days. Yeah. Mostly he's talking to other people on the range. He's helping get them fit into equipment. He's talking about technology and trying to work on his swing and different physical stuff. But today I thought was really special because it's a little bit of everything. It's golf geek out city because you're going to get stories about Tiger. You're going to get stories about Aaron Rodgers. You're going to get conversations with Jason Day but you're also going to get his playing days of him being upset after winning a pro event. And what led to that working with a sports psychologist, how does he look at golf differently now than he did when he was a pro a 10 year hiatus in the middle. I mean, this is really a entertaining, enjoyable conversation that if you love golf, you will love, but it's also about the mind and what's helped him play his best golf.
2: Well said. I mean, love is just, Straight shooter, no BS attitude, but he's also an open book, really gets into it, you know, about, like I said, his playing days, equipment, careers, what to think, what not to think. What a fascinating person to have on our show because he's played at a really high level. He's won many tour events, but he's also around the best players in the world, right? And he's a master club fitter, right? He has all this information, all this data. We talk about how that's good. Sometimes that's not so good. But I think he knows throughout all his experience as a player and as a teacher, and working for TaylorMade, what works, and to get a firsthand look, like you said, at the best players. Text by Colin. He talks about DJ. I mean, he knows these guys. Yeah. Like you know, you know, and it's it's fantastic, unbelievable episode. This is going to bring a ton of value for you guys. So definitely yep. listen to the
1: end. Yep. Thank you guys as always for hopping aboard. If uh, this added any value, which I know it will, give us a review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify wherever you listen to your podcasts. It'll mean a lot. It's all we ask. Give us a follow at the Part Train on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok if you don't already i assume most of you do but if you don't we post there just multiple times a day to help you get out of your own way and enjoy the ride in between podcasts so thanks to trotty thanks yeah. to you guys for listening and no matter uh how much you've gotten in your own way no matter how bogged down you can get with swing technology clubs what do they got to do sir just enjoy the ride you go the ride, guys take care thanks guys chris trot People know you as Trotty Golf. I'd like to welcome you. Your first time. Welcome aboard the train. We're excited to have you.
0: Boys, it's good to be here. And that was uh, that was an amazing intro. I appreciate that massively.
2: <laughs> it's it's gonna get, It might get better here. Evan's got something for you.
1: So, if people follow you, Trotty, people know you love the onion. Okay, we're gonna yep. start here. Yeah, you're a big. You love peeling back the layers. You throw around a lot of onion emojis. And, yep. you know, you're going to add a lot of value for our listeners. I can already tell. But before we start, I wanted to add a little value to you, okay? I found a fun fact about onions that I bet you don't know. Are you ready for this? Go ahead. Okay. So during the ancient Olympic Games in Greece, I bet you didn't think it was going to start here, okay? Okay. The onion was used extensively extensively to prepare athletes for grueling athletic competition. Let me give you the details. Athletes would consume pounds of onions leading up to the games. They drank onion juice and they even rubbed onions on their bodies in an effort to warm up their muscles. And believe it or not, Trotty, ancient Greek physician, I'm going to butcher this, Pedanius (laughs) Dioscorides was onto something. Onions today are known for their powers to increase circulation in the body. How about that?
0: There's a reason why I picked this hat and there's a reason why I'm drinking onion juice right now. I (laughs) I knew that you guys would get to the bottom. I heard that you guys were good, but I didn't realize you'd be going to that level of research before we get going. So, I mean, I just love where we've started. I mean, where we go from here, who knows? I thought the intro was going to be the show.
2: (laughs) So the secret you didn't want to share is you're drinking onion juice daily.
0: Exactly. I mean, that's the exact secret I didn't want to share. And that's how I end up getting this knowledge that I've been able to get. Just I've been supping on this for a long time.
1: You know, we put in the time and the effort out of respect to our guests. We put in the research. We don't have a research team. We do it ourselves. And we owe that to you.
0: Well, I appreciate it. Thanks. We got that that out
1: of the way. Okay. I wanted to ask you, I thought this could also be a fun, beautiful transition from the onions is obviously you're with TaylorMade. Everyone loves your equipment talk and fitting, and that's that was your bread and butter, right? I think you told me on our call before this interview that you were kind of known as a club whisperer. So I want to start today with the 12 handicap in mind. Okay. That's a big part of our listenership. What does the average 12 handicap have wrong in their equipment most often? Are we talking... Shaft, stiffness, loft, bounce and wedges, grip size. Like what's immediately the thing you see the most across the board that's just fit wrong or wrong for the golfer?
0: Set makeup and then grips. I think guys don't change their grips at all. I think you look at tour players and that's so overrated. Like they change their grips a lot. So there's point number one. I mean, that's your contact point with the golf clubs. So tour players are putting those freshies on there quite a lot. And then set makeup in terms of, listen, if you don't know you're gapping, if you don't know how far you hit something and you don't have the right clubs for the home course that you play, which over time you figure out, but now there's so many apps and analytics and whatnot that you can figure it out quicker. They just don't don't get it right. And then in turn, clubs can drop off. Tour players are getting their loft and lies checked all the time. And guys can be stood there going, well, my 7-iron, you know, it goes 165. Doesn't you know it goes 155, and then they're not playing yardages that are to the correct number, and then they're not hitting the right clubs, and in turn the gapping is wrong, and before you know it, they're just completely lost. So I, I think those things, and then here for US people that are based here, getting the right 60 degree wedges, and and I see a few people that are amateurs with 58s and stuff, just don't do it, you know. Sevy was Seve for a reason with his 56, and he'd open that puppy up and get creative, but 60s didn't exist. 60 degree wedges now are so helpful and they make a lot of the tough shots easier that we get wrong strategy wise as golfers. So we've short side ourselves more often than not that 60 is going to help you out. So kind of a three part answer, the maintenance of your golf clubs and that's class grips and loft and lies as one the gapping and knowing your golf clubs and truly knowing it. Don't sit there and tell me that a club goes a yardage, know it because you've got facts and analytics and then leave the ego at the door get your gapping right get that lofted lob wedge in there which i feel like a lot of american guys do but get it in there and use it
2: chris on the topic of gapping with the wedges specifically first would you advise a double digit handicapper to use a 60 degree and two what you know from 46 to 50 to what what should we be thinking about with our gaps yeah and as players
0: I think, look, I think the people that I speak to on social media that aren't familiar with me, and we joke about it at the top is like, know your onions and peel back the layers and whatnot. I'm talking from the 15 handicapper through to the tour player. That is my wheelhouse. And I think what I'm doing is translating a lot of what the engineers will say and putting it into a digestible, hopefully fun way that we can all understand it. And, you know, in some ways, and I'm sure we'll get to it, I wish that that fun side of me would carry to my own golf game. But we can get to that. But to directly answer your question... I wouldn't want a 15 handicapper, which I'm classing as someone who can score. If it's past 72, then they're breaking 90. I wouldn't want them to be scared of using a lob wedge. Now that does, which is I'm classing as a 60 degree wedge. That doesn't mean that I want them to hit flat out golf shots. I want them to then become very friendly and accustomed to their 56, 55 degree wedge and understand that that is your, Full shot maximum wedge, but your 60 is there to aid you out of traps on short sided situations, perhaps in areas that you're not comfortable. It's also there to go anywhere from 55 yards to your pitching so that you understand that when you work, you know, the Dave Pelt stuff, which is from the 90s and I guess maybe 80s, but the clock faces clock system. Yeah. Yeah. When you work the clock faces, You're adding a wedge in there at 60 degrees that gives you another job that you can do. I don't want 15 handicappers. If they're being scared of using lob wedges, then I'd say, you know, get into the set lob wedge, which now comes pretty much. You can get a set lob wedge in there and have that wider sole and use that with ease. But I think a 60 degree wedge has a part. Yeah, for sure. Nowadays in a 15 handicappers bag.
2: It's funny. I've, And Chris, I've never played a 60 in my whole life. And I've been 54, 58 for a very long time.
0: You're a different conversation. You're a good player. You've obviously had a college career. You're of the age group listening to the clubs we were talking about offline, where you probably grew up having... The 60s were coming in, but obviously you'd watch tour players use 56s, 57s, and then the generation before you, 56s with great success. I mean, every... Player when I grew up that was around me who was established was a 56, 57 degree wedge. You're educated and trained in a different way that a 58 may work for you. But I'm saying if we've got someone raw who's not got a history, who's not molded to it, embrace the 60 degree wedge.
2: For sure. I guess my next question for you was Are most all tour players consistently carrying a 60?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. And to be honest, if I was working with you on a consistent basis, and we get to build a relationship here. You'll be carrying a 60 pretty soon, too. Yeah. Just the way in which the gapping is. Let's length it out. You're a decent player. You've got some hands on you. Let's get that 56 doing more work, to be honest. Right.
2: Well, yeah. a lot of people love you, Chris, for your videos. Your content's incredible. And you're known to be at least, you present yourself as a tinkerer, you know, and it's fun to tinker, especially when you have the resources at your disposal. We also know tinkering can get lead us into trouble. When you were playing competitively, and around the world professionally, were you a tinkerer then? Were there moments that helped you and maybe hurt you?
0: It's a great question. And I so I had a spell, which I don't know if I chatted about this with every other day, but I had a spell with TaylorMade, then I left to go and try and get on tour and obviously went around Europe a little bit and then Asia a little bit. And what I did is I had about 18 clubs that I would travel with and mm-hmm. then I would change for the courses. So as you played in Asia, I'm not a great seven wood, five wood player, but I traveled to Asia with seven and five woods being from where I'm from in the UK, I was a pretty good two iron player, three iron player. So much more comfortable in the twos and the threes and the three wood, um, which wasn't really going to help you in Asia. So I had to get used to a seven wood, had a hybrid. So all of a sudden now you're up to 15, 16 clubs. And then you know, I was always a decent putter, So it wasn't too much of an issue, but if ever I was struggling a little or, That really got into my game when I had access to everything like more options with putting hurt me over the years and has hurt me and has been a long road to get back to a place where I feel like I can actually make a few putts. So you made a very valid point there of saying, listen, being a tinkerer can hurt you 100 percent. And I mean, I was watching an interview the other day with Justin Rose. Great guy. Good club guy knows his information when it comes to stuff, knows his onions to coin the phrase. But at the end of the day, I think he said it himself in the posts. So I was watching too many options have sent him down a rabbit hole that have put his golf game on a back burner for a while. When you work for a company like I do, you naturally want to get into the newest and the latest stuff. Cause you know, cause mm-hmm. you've lived in the on the shoulder of engineers that if you get it right, there's benefits to your golf game, but that puts you back three, four weeks. Like honestly, we're in, in March, now recording this, January's been tricky even for the limited amount of golf I play because you want to get in the new irons, you want to get in the new driver. I was driving the eyes out the old one, but I want to get in the new stuff. And it's like you spend time working on it because you know it will be beneficial for you based on everything you've heard about the marketing.
1: I remember when I worked with you guys, worked with Taylor May back in the day, and Martin Keimer became number one in the world. I remember the CEO, Mark King, at that time was trying to get Keimer into the R11, the white driver. And I think he was smashing the R9 try. I think he was still in. And I remember that was a big thing that they had to work through.
0: Did I tell you the story about Kymer then in the Supertry? I mean, I've told the story. I don't story think so. Go ahead. Thought, so basically, Kymer signed from Ping. And Kymer, no, he was using Titleist irons, I think, in a Ping driver. And this was when I was in my heyday fitting on tour. And I'd built a relationship with Martin prior to him coming to TaylorMade. And we he used to like, you guys probably weren't close to it, but he used to like go-karting. So in Europe, you'd go to a lot of different places and we'd go go go-karting. And we ended up karting in South Wales for the Welsh Open, which is at, uh, it was the tournaments at Celtic Manor, which is where the Ryder Cup was going to be. So we spent a bit of time there. And then three weeks later, after the Welsh Open, TaylorMade signed him and he had a ping prototype golf shaft. We had a really stiff tip. And uh, the U.S. boys were like, listen, just give him some space. Let's get him in the product. Let's not push him onto it. Let's not push it onto him. Anyway, we're in Madrid. Mitsubishi came out with a new golf shaft at the time, a Mitsubishi Ninja. It was a white shaft, soft tip, low torque. Kind of hit this little cut, low launch cut. Trackman was out. And I was sort of sat there thinking, and this was really my big break into getting the sort of jobs that I went on to have with TaylorMade. But I was like, I have a relationship with Martin. I think I can get him into this super try. And the PGA Championship was coming up. And obviously we'd been told, like, give him his space. Presented him a built R9 super try, which was 9'5", like on nine and a quarter. So the face angle is where you want it. A little bit of weight in the heel so it didn't overcut. Had this softer tip shaft in it. Built on the Mizuno trailer. Took it to him and was like, Martin, look, I know we've been told to stay away, but everything I've been told about this, this is you. And he started rifling this driver down the range. Fast forward three or four weeks, he goes and wins Wisconsin, wins that PGA Championship and really bursts on the scene and didn't want to get out of that R9 Supertry. So obviously at that point, the conversation you're alluding to came back to me to say, hey, you've got a good relationship with this guy. Maybe we can send you some parts and you can work in some R11 stuff with Kymer. But ultimately, it was paint lines, it was face angles, which if you remember from there, we went, I think, down the R1 route, which had a little piece on the sole that you could move to change face angles. And all of those things were happening as a result of feedback from a guy who ultimately wanted to play a black-on-black driver, which was the R9 Try. But now we were going into this polarizing world of contrasting paint lines, which to players of that level... You know, obviously, they want to see something visually before they go out and hit shots and feel shots. So that is a lot of really in the heyday what I had to deal with in terms of mentally having to get Martin to accept something like that, get some confidence in it. But when you've got a 24, 25 year old guy who's gone out and won the biggest tournaments there are to win, it's tricky conversations, and you have to use a lot of your skills that you tried to use as a player versus a fitter, versus a teacher, versus everything. So. It was cool times, interesting times, and obviously he went on to have some great success with other stuff too, which was, which was awesome.
1: We're going to get more into your game, Trotty, in a second. But first, on the talk of Tor and different guys, I was curious, if you had to pick one favorite shot from a tailor-made Tor Pro, either current or that you've worked with in the past, to add to your bag, who and what shot would you pick? Thing, You know, like Rory's high draw, Fleetwood's. Knockdown, Collins, iron accuracy. Like what's one shot and you over that know. you would want in your bag?
0: I think, yeah. I mean, one particular shot that these boys play that you'd want is very hard to answer. I mean, the ability having done content now with Tiger Woods, the ability and when you're stood literally on the bag, to watch those nine windows and to see that now that's nine shots. So that's not one shot, right? but to see the ability of one player to shape certain shots and have that much control is immense. So the, I'm, pr- I'm praying going to struggle to answer this question is the answer I'm going to give you. Well, well,
2: what is it about tiger set of hands that you've got to experience? I mean, it's, it's yeah, amazing. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's otherworldly.
0: It's, The ability with Tiger is the ability to shut out the situation that is going on around him and to do what he does to the level he does it with the amount of noise that is happening around him. That is what impresses me. I mean, he's, and even now the guy's not playing as much as he's playing. He's hitting every shot in a goldfish bowl, clearly in a lot of pain. And it's his ability to recreate 175 plus ball speeds. And hit those tight fairways at Riviera. And then to some of the lies, which you guys are accustomed to, but obviously I see European, like I was with Danny Willett the other day, going down hole 10 at Riviera. And I was watching him practice chip. And for English guys, we just don't have these Kakuya rough lies. And Danny's, you know, I'm not talking to him about it. He's a Callaway guy, but I'm watching him. He's going a little steep on him. When you do the same exercise with Colin or with Tiger, the, the, angle of attack on the wedges and the parts of the bounce that they use it's just very different from a European so I think as you watch on and you watch the skills that these people have it's his ability to hit the different windows and to bring the club through the turf in different ways and that's whether he's in Germany Dubai the Tory Pines event surfaces there whether he's in Florida like his ability to control the low point so that doesn't really answer one shot, but if I could have one skill, it would be his ability to control the low point. And then you can go on and you can talk about things that have been impressive. I mean, Sergio Garcia is maybe the most underrated driver of a golf ball in the game. And he's not even underrated, but he's unreal. And then yeah. just the power from Rory McElroy, a guy who's not much bigger than me, and just the energy that you feel coming off as he gets that torque going and then really releases and uses the ground is amazing. And then if we go back in time, just to be in earshot of a player, which hopefully everyone remembers, but Jose Maria Lathabal and just him hitting wedges, the sound of that wedge and the sound of the bounce hitting the turf, you can't even put into context. It's, it's, That is a standard that goes far beyond what we as players who tried to play or people who've been so lucky to be around the game. It's a level that I just didn't really think when I was younger existed because I thought I could work my ass off to get to that level. And the truth is, I don't think you can. I think these individuals are born into going to do what they go on and do. And I've since seen it. I was so fortunate and I'm not a football fan, which I apologize for. But I did it with Aaron Rodgers at the Kingdom. Again, through TaylorMade and the connections they've got with an American football star like that. A game I don't know. I'm not. I don't watch. Met the guy. Great guy. And then in 15, 20 minutes, with the smallest little bit of guidance, he's hitting 177 ball speed and just sending a driver down a range in a sport that is not his primary sport. And he's doing it better than... 99% of the people that come to the kingdom at TaylorMade. And that's when I sort of left that place. Now, again, probably a poor mindset. I should be leaving thinking about how great that experience was. But I left thinking how much I sucked at golf, that my primary sport and I can't basically hit it as efficient as this guy who's a quarterback for one of the, you know, one of the teams in the NFL. It's like, they're just at a different level. And certain things that these boys do. And like I say, I think the best way to put it into terms is controlling the low point different level for a player like Tiger. And if you didn't answer with Tiger in that scenario, that question, then it would be a miss. And there's, you know, we could talk on that one. So we do a whole podcast on that about the ability of John Rahm hitting flop shots and Dustin Johnson hitting peel cuts. And the, even the way in which Matt Fitzpatrick hits certain shots. And there's a name you might not pluck out, but the way in which, you know, he reads putts and his process, there's a lot of stuff you could talk about, but if you didn't put Tiger as the answer, And I don't know how much you would sort of really, truly appreciate the job that I've had. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Let me ask you this real quick, Chris. I mean, I think the nine shots is interesting. You brought that up because I actually heard this in two different videos in the last week. I think I heard Max Homa talk about it. And I think I heard Scott Fawcett talk about it, where I've heard pros talk about how Tiger almost created an expectation that made them feel that they weren't the best pro they could be if they couldn't hit those nine windows consistently. And Scott Foss, it's all about pick your, your stock shot and play that over and over. Obviously there's certain scenarios that require it, but you more and more hear Torpos talk about playing their game versus needing to overcomplicate it. What are you seeing out there? Is that true?
0: I think that the best coaches and the best tour players and the best people in this game, keep it as simple as possible. And I think that from that core message, I've tried to build a social following and a social channel and a social understanding that anytime I sit and train people on clubs, which is obviously the thing that I've done the most in my career, it's trying to be as simple as it can be. I think we all massively overcomplicate it. I think even here we've got, hey, I'm using a 58 degree wedge from Matt. It's like, dude, you're overcomplicating something that's very simple. Don't use a 64. That's too weak and completely useless to you. But the 60 will give you something that will be a bit easier and it allows your gapping to be bigger. I mean, it already from the pre stuff we talked about sounds like there's issues with his gapping. Now there's a good player who still doesn't have it right. Get that right. and You save yourself half a shot around half a shot around is, you know, a shot over two rounds. And I don't know what you're playing in, but you're going to see more success and more success is more enjoyment. So Yeah, keeping it as simple as possible. I can't remember the original question, but if you keep it as simple as possible, I think also the best players in the world are doing. And Tiger never wants to get sucked into going deeper either, which is why we're always trying to find this Messiah like answer. But he's trying to tell you what he can tell you. He's trying to, the answers are all there. You know, it's in how he carries himself, how now he coaches his own son. I mean, he's talking about shot shaping and missed targets in front of you, miss objects in front of you, because that's golf, isn't it? And we don't all hit the perfect shot every time. So a lot of it is acceptance that some of us do well, and a lot of it is moving on with your round that some of us do well and staying in the moment, which, again, some of us do well.
2: I mean, we've seen guys hit one shape all the time, win a lot of golf tournaments. And I think it's those holes that they don't like. Like a Kenny Perry is a hard drawer forever. He won a lot of golf tournaments. But those holes he had to hit go left to right, he just had to manage it. and just manage those holes and, and, and really pounce on those, those holes that look great.
0: And all these players are amazing. You know, you could name a ton of them, Tom Lehman, Kenny Perry, and then we could get more recent players like Colin Montgomery, for example, from the European Tour, just oh. a top player. And you could just keep going on and on and on and on and on. But I think the truth is, is that Tiger wanted to win everywhere. I think maybe Riviera is one of the only places I can think of now off the top of my head that he hasn't won, that he's left out there and he wants to win. And then that's why he played Riviera because he's gone on record in a podcast with me saying that's the tournament I haven't won. And I want to win my own tournament, the LA open. And it's like, it's a funny one that he hasn't won it. Cause on paper that golf course, he probably should win it.
2: He just stopped playing it there for a while.
0: Correct. Right, and yeah, and yeah. obviously what happened happened and we are where we are, but the guy doesn't rule. I went to a tournament with him in Dubai. Uh, he was not with Taylor made at the time last hole at the Emirates in Dubai, where they always play the, the tournament there. You need to hit a hook off the tee on the 18. You have to hit a hook. It's not a draw, it's a hook. And he spent most of the practice days hitting 35 to 45-yard hooks on the range with driver. I hardly saw him hit straight drives. And he's hit, he's practicing it for one shot. And he knows on Sunday when he needs to hit that one shot, if he's going to make birdie or eagle at the last, he has to hit the fairway. If you're going to do that, it needs to be moving at like a 45-degree angle when it's coming down. And yeah, the guy wins the tournament. I think three times he won that tournament, just hitting a big hook off eighteen. Unbelievable. (laughs) Stuff that that sadly, like, we're not, we're just not thinking about. And it goes back to the Aaron Rodgers sort of comparison and things like that. Like, why did we not make it as golfers if we were good players? And the truth is, is because you actually, you weren't that good. You know what I mean? You're where you need to be. And you put a bit of work in and you worked hard and that's great. But you see the confidence. And again, something we did with a psychologist at TaylorMade, like the ability that Aaron has to listen to instruction. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm giving him minor points to do in his golf swing and his eyes are locked on what I'm saying. And then before you know it, boom, boom, boom. And you're just like, wow. If every golf lesson I was involved with was this easy, I would be the greatest coach on earth. And, it's
2: and, he's like, just, he, and he's just listening to you. He's not fighting you. He's not asking for a fee. Like, that's so, so different, right? Not at-
0: and we, we don't do that, do we? Like, I have a friend who's a pretty good golfer, plus one, plus two, really tall guy. And he questions everything. Every mm-hmm. golf lesson he goes to, he questions it I used to do it. And, like, that's how I'm the pretty- guy coaching <laughs> me said to me, you know, you should probably look at becoming a golf coach. I mean, that's the politest way ever to say <laughs> you suck. And he's like, you should probably look at becoming a golf because you ask too many questions. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I do. But it was the desire to learn more, to know everything, which I think, again, going back to the job I have, the access I have to equipment, I went off on a tangent with putting and down a rabbit hole, but I've tried everything. I can tell you anything about trying stuff. Now, obviously that benefited my job, but it hurt my golf game
1: personally. That's a perfect segue, Chris, because I feel like that's probably... The number one mistake most amateurs make to get better number one mistake I've made over the years that we just go to the range. We don't know what we do, why we do it and what we should be working on. So then we're there pulling one feel that I saw in this video, one feel that I saw in that article. And I'm there trying, letting my ball flight guide me on what I should go with. And then I end up having different feels every time I play. Talk about this. Cause I know my tailor plus is an app that, we're now talking about on this show and I want people to know that they can get a coach like you just described to look at your swings as many as you want to send every month you spend 999 a month when a golf lesson costs 100 150 so I think this is a really important point for amateurs to hear
0: yeah I so so there's a lot of golf coaches out there that's point number one and you hit the nail on the head and we could type anything into YouTube now like how do I get shallow? How do I get steep? How do I what is hitting a draw entail? How do I hit it high? How do I, you could do all that? And obviously the search engines are going to send you down certain rabbit holes. But some of the things that are in there might not be right for you. So on the My Taylor May Plus app that you're talking about, you can capture your swing and then you are pushed towards a coach. And that coach then will stay with you on a journey. You will send the swing to them down the line, caddy view uh, and front on. Then they will come back and critique and comment on what you need to do. And they'll give you a scoring system out of, I think it's out of 10, as to each area of your game. And then you work with them how you want to go and you're handpicked a coach from that. So, yeah, in itself, fantastic. Other parts of the app, though, I think this is essential for everyone. Analytics on your game that then break down, well, for a start, which would be in Matt's case, how far the clubs actually go and the jobs that they do. That's going to highlight an area where he can push that 58 to a 60, and then he can get a different wedge. And we were talking earlier about three wood, five wood rescue type area for him. It will become clear as the day what he needs to do. So then that guides him. He's taken ownership of his game, which is number one. Then it guides him into a lesson scenario if he wants it to say, Hey, I've never had a hybrid or a rescue in my life. Coach, help me out and explain how I use this club. Or B, okay, I know I've got to buy that club. So when I go into my fitting, decisions are made for me. If you go into a fitting environment, you just go in there because you want to hit pretty golf shafts or you want to hit long drives. I harp on about this all the time on the content I put out there. You must take ownership of your game. And if you don't, it's kind of like being lazy with it all, to be fair. Now, I'm not saying that we got to go out there. We've got to get gym routines. I get it. Everyone's got busy lives. But it comes back to other things as you get older and you try and manage your game. If you do in multiple sports or you're exercising, you just got to plan how those things go. Like I'm going to train on a Wednesday because I know I'll be fully recovered by Saturday. I'm going to eat well on a Friday night because that's going to help me on the Saturday. And it's these little things that people might not want to do, but they all go into putting you in a good mental place to then go and play good golf. I know from chatting with Dustin Johnson quite a bit, the day of a tournament, he does not want to be rushed at all. And if it's a 7 a.m. tea time, he's getting up uber early just to have his day in the right speed at which he wants to live it. And I think that that's a lot you can get from that, whether it's walking walking the dog or the music you listen to on the way to the golf course or how you're going to go about getting your morning coffee that you want to get. Just do it at the pace at which you want to set your day because once you've done that, if you've done all this background work to dial in the clubs, to go through the My TaylorMade Plus app, to get the tips from the coach you want, which now is one voice, so it's not ten thousand cooks in the system, that's the way to go because I think you can you can self diagnose yourself for some if you don't know what you're looking for for something that you think you need and it's completely wrong. And that goes yeah. for golf yeah. lessons or equipment. And it's like I I haven't done that because I'm way further down the line with that, but I have friends who do that. And they get themselves in a completely lost environment. And on that My Taylor May Plus thing, you can ask questions. And they're going to give you the answers. Like, I got a buddy who's just got a new stealth too. And he's already starting to get lost, amateur golfer, with like, well, what do I do with the loft sleeve? You don't need to do anything with the loft sleeve because I've set it up for you to play here in Southern California. If you go and disappear and play in a Lynx golf course, maybe we'll look at changing the loft sleeve to change the ball flight. But here, right now, this is the setup you need. People need that checklist. It's like tour players. When when tour players would come to tournaments all through my career, some of them would be in there loft and line their clubs every week. Some of them would be in there getting new grips every week. Some of them would be in there getting new wedges every week. It's simply a physical checklist that puts them in a state of mind where they can go and play decent golf.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting about that, Trotty. What I took from what you just said aligns very much to an observation I've had with my game, which is certainty. Regardless of what I was working on, if I was if I had certainty that that's my thing and that's all I need to do, I played so much better. Uncertainty with what I'm working on, what should be my focus that day, what's my theme, terrible. So I think that's really key is to understand why you do it and then get certain on what you're supposed to work on. So a little plug here, download my Tailormade Plus app enter the code train, you'll actually get two months free of their premium subscription. Usually they do a one month trial. You guys on the part are getting two months. So you can work with a coach for two months for free using the code train. That's like hundreds of dollars of value. So there's a ton of other stuff we'll talk about that the app has, but I think that is, is awesome.
2: What you just said kind of to Chris there, like, but it goes back to what Chris said. It's like, if you desire to want to know everything, and I struggle with this two at a time in high school you or anybody else is just never going to make those strides. Like it's just going to be very difficult. It's a choice, right, Chris? You need to know
0: you, the better you become, the more you need to know you and you need to know what you have to do to hit that pitch shot off a bad lie, but come in shallow so that you don't create the wrong attack angles to get the wrong spin on it. And if that's where your game's at, and that's the questions you're asking yourself, you need to know what you need to do. And if that doesn't look good on camera, but you perfect it, you need to be big enough to live with that. And that is where I had issues as a kid. Like, I wanted to swing and look perfect. It had to. John Rahm plays to the faults of what he had. We're further on now. And what TPI does with him and his body and the restrictions, tick that big checkbox that Evan's talking about He knows now that he's good, but he had the wherewithal and the foresight. And he's told it recently in various things I've seen of him online that he would go to a lesson and the Spanish team would say to him, hit me a six iron into a net and we're going to tell you where your positions are. And he'd be like, that's not golf. Like, you want me to go outside and hit you a six iron to 165 to 185 yard pin? I'll hold it up to the 65 or I'll draw it into the 85 and it'll go to three feet. I can do it. So don't stand here and tell me that I'm a little off in P6. Whereas I would have lived on what the coach had said and been like, yeah, you know, my elbow flares and which is a complete, it mentally goes against trying to complete the task of if I want to move my hand forward and move the screen like that, I'm not thinking about the degrees at which my hand comes into the screen. You can't play golf like that. The other thing just to flow back to the coach There's some stories of uh, Pete Cowan, which I don't know if you guys heard of him, but he's a UK coach, a Yorkshireman, which means he's very straight talking. I like the guy. And then another one who's also a Yorkshireman, Yorkshire would be a little bit like, I don't know, Detroit, Pittsburgh. These boys are straight shooters. You know what I mean? Basically, these two coaches both said to me on separate occasions, Cowan to Stenson, and the other coach, which is a guy called Alan Thompson, who was my junior coach. Great guy. He coached a guy called Jamie Donaldson, who hit the winning shot at Glen Eagles in the Ryder Cup. And Tommy Fleetwood with great success. And both of them said to me in separate scenarios, Cowan was on the range at the Ryder Cup with Stenson. And Alan was in Mexico with Tommy when he went on to finish third in that WGC. And they pretty much said to me that all they say to their players in the buildup to that tournament, they just tell them how great they are. Now they use some choice words that they add into that sentence, but they just tell them that they're the best in the world and nothing is any going to stop them. And off you go. And that's one big checkbox that when you know your straight talking, candid golf coach, who's this older guy who's seen it all is telling you everything is good. You just be you because you're brilliant. It's a checkbox. It's a mental checkbox.
2: Just go play golf.
0: Exactly. Which it's hard for us all to do, especially being around all this noise that there is today. It's great because a lot of us think that we have more, we're armed better with equipment. But if you play with players, players play and players win. And like, that's what I've been able to do here in the last couple of years as I've sort of had a bit of a return to the golf game and I've tried to play with players and players get it done. They're (laughs) not, they're not teachers. They're players, you
1: know, Trotty, is that the part of the game that you, if there is something that you wish you knew when in your playing days that you know now, is it embracing your game and believing in your game? Or what do you wish you you would have known then that you know now?
0: I think maybe I wish I'd have given myself a bit more time and just had a bit more confidence about what I was doing. I think if I look at where I stepped out, I stepped out probably the first out of everyone who stepped out of my generation. And I went out to a great job at Taylor and I'm, I'm glad I did that. And I, I ended up in the right place, but in terms of playing, I wish I just had a bit more confidence in what I was doing because a lot of it was right. A lot of it was right. And I think these players, the successful ones are able to just be like, yeah, what I'm doing is hundred percent, right. I have complete belief in it and I'm going to stick to the process. And obviously I watched that Netflix thing. And I think Tony now said like a winner is someone who just didn't give up. And he's right. He's right. You know, I see a lot of players who didn't make it and they were good. But, you know, it's having having chatted a lot to Jason Day about this during COVID as well. It's running through the fire. You know, when the heat is on and you're in a tough situation, it's having the balls to embrace it with both hands and go for it and run through the fire. And Jr. Smith, the basketball player, without like getting into complete name dropping things here, but having met him through his ventures in golf, it's the same. Like just run through every piece of adversity, and I think anyone who makes it as a player has done that. And um, no matter what level you're at, I don't know how you teach that. I, I, I don't know if you can teach it. I think you can certainly do things that help it, which is why if you switch on the European Tour golf now, you have players who make a great living out of playing golf, but. You know, are they making a great living? They're paying to go from A to B to C to D to play golf. That's a lifestyle. And I think that the reasons I stepped out of it is because I was going down that avenue where I was going to make enough money to get from point A to point B to point C. And and I didn't want that for myself because I think I accepted I perhaps wasn't going to be the Dizzy Heights that I wanted to be in the game. And I think as I've gone on and on and on, I realized that that's the people who do that are Pretty freaking talented, you know. The names we've mentioned here—they're elite talents at what they do.
2: Charlie, I want to ask you a little bit about your time as a professional. And then you played in Asia, Australia. Did you play the Challenge Tour too? Yeah, I had I think.
0: a Challenge Tour card, um, back then you'd get phone call. I had a poor card, so I get calls late on to go and play certain events. It was tricky. So look, it it's was tricky. mini tours, it was Challenge Tour, it was Asia, it was it was injuries, and it was you know, it was coming at it from a place where I had a good job at TaylorMade behind me. So that made it mentally difficult because I knew I didn't have to be putting myself through this, you know?
2: Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So I'm curious how you balance the mindset of, you know, going into an, into an event of wanting to make the cut, make a lot of money versus I want to compete and I want to win. And how did you deal with that and, and talk about that?
0: Well, for me, it became comfort. Like, I had won a couple of mini tour events, and you just became comfortable playing at that level. And I've seen it on tour with other players. You know, they get on, they get the category that will be a high end challenge tour category. They play some Euro or Corn Ferry. You play some events, you get in some bigger events, and you just become comfortable with your environment. Now, that might take two or three years, but everyone becomes comfortable with where they're at, and then they level up, comfortable with where they're at level up. And there was a play like, and where the top stops is up to you. Because if you look at those South African guys, like Charles or Louis Oosterhausen and Richard Sterny, like obviously I think Swartzel went on and won the masters first before Louis went on and won the open, but it was a case of seeing their buddies do it mm. meant they knew they could do it. And then obviously Richard Sterny, who was the one who didn't quite do as good as the other two but he still did great for himself. Oh yeah. He maybe didn't have the desire that the other two had, or the belief that the other two had. So I think what happens is, is you get in pockets of people, you mix yourself with the right people, you start traveling with them. Ask it like Lowry's done it with Harrington. He, he's just—it's almost been like a business mentor for him for his whole career. And I mean, I when I first met Shane, I didn't think he'd win a major. And then obviously you fast forward it to that Sunday at the Open that he won, and it's like it was carbon cut out for him to win that but I think that's how you do it and I think going back to my own experiences I maybe should have hung out with some better players you're but environment.
1: I, was, I yeah. was on
0: the fringes of England and when you're on the fringes of playing for England as an amateur you hang, hang out with other players that are on the fringes of getting into England because the England boys hang out with the England boys and then you go and play in Spanish Opens and stuff and there you are hanging out with a bunch of kids who almost played for England And then it's like, okay, or they got one star. And then you get on the challenge tour. You hang out with guys who are almost on the challenge tour. And it's like, while I was leveling up, I wasn't leveling up at the speed at which I wanted to because every every time back then, more kids were coming out, more kids were coming out. And now it's just a speed fest. Like we see kids at the kingdom now. And if you're not living at 175, cruising at 175, then you shouldn't even be bothering.
2: Well, I had a question around that too, I've was to ask you, Trotty, was, I mean, I think the average... Average distance off the tee last year on the the tour was 299. Yeah. So if you're not built like DJ, even if you're DJ, everybody's working on speed, right? And at the youngest ages, but but that's a new balancing act for players too.
0: It's different to yours and my generation for sure. I mean, Matt Fitz has been able to do it. Fitz, he's got there and he's a small guy and he's got the speed now. But I mean, he came out and he was slower than just regular guys. (laughs) So, but there's a guy that, you know, gives his all to be where he is and deserves everything he's got because hard work for him does pay off. But one of his skills is that he is, has the ability to work that hard. Like you look at someone like Dustin who has mountains of talent. Yeah, he works hard. Does he work as hard as Matt? Maybe not, but he doesn't need to because he's got Aaron Rodgers type ability. You know what I mean? And that's the thing with Rory. Like Rory's got it all. Now he obviously works hard and has got his body into being what is a specimen, but they're the things he's had to work on to get himself there. So I think it's having that ability to self-diagnose what you need to work on. Again, that comes back to my Taylor May plus and then having the wherewithal and the time to go out and chase after that. When sometimes the rewards aren't there. I mean, remember these boys are missing cuts as well, leaving places early, having to foot the bill for, you know, I've traveled all the way to China it's cost me X, Y, and Z. Now I'm leaving early, changing flights, paying more money, the financial uncertainty of what that is to them as players. You live with all that when you're a mini tour guy, and you obviously ask yourself the question, like, for me, it was, I'm paying all this money to do this. I don't know if I'm enjoying it. I'm not bad at it. I'm not great. But I've also got a job here that I could go and do tomorrow that I am going to enjoy. So it, was, it just wasn't my destiny to do that. I'm certainly grateful for everything I learned along the way. And you know, it is what it is.
1: All right, guys, stay seated. This train's going to make a quick pit stop. Keep those seatbelts fast and then we'll get the train right back on track. I've got something for you guys that I think you're going to absolutely love. I don't know about you. I've been talking to different friends and I realized it's pretty rare for people to have a go-to golf shoe. People have go-to equipment brands for their putters, their irons, their wedges, drivers, et cetera, But golf shoes, you kind of jump around a little bit and I've been looking for a brand that I can stick with. And I was honestly a little bit surprised when I realized it and I tried it on, but now I'll never go back. Olakai golf shoes. They call it Aloha golf. It's all about same thing. Enjoying the ride, Aloha golf, staying chill, staying happy, enjoying it all. But more importantly, it's the most comfortable golf shoe I've ever worn. So you guys might know Olakai for the sandals and their regular footwear you know, I've got like the flattest feet in the world. I could never find sandals that fit my foot. The only sandal that's ever fit my foot are Olakai flip flops. So I'm seeing so many people that wear Olakai for everyday stuff. When they hear they had a golf shoe, they ran straight to Olakai.com and got themselves these pairs. I personally love the white leather shoe, it's super classic. They've got gray, brown, et cetera. And they've also got these other styles that are kind of cool and unique. There's, some brown leather mixed into some navy canvas and it's a little bit more eclectic and kind of a trail outdoor feel. And it's pretty cool. I have those two. And the heel, best part, the heel on all their golf shoes flap down, just like the regular footwear. Go to our show notes of this episode or go to our Instagram account at the Partrain, tap the link in bio. You'll see an Olakai link in there. If you click that link, you will get free shipping on your order. Highly recommend this, guys. Remember. I tested them back in April and walked 36 holes at Bannon Dunes without breaking them in, and I had zero blisters. I've had shoes that are broken in that I've worn for months that gave me blisters at Bannon Dunes. These didn't. So tap that link in our show notes for this episode or go to our bio at The Par Train and get yourself the most comfortable golf shoes I've ever worn. All right, let's get back to the show. What did you work on most with your sports psychologist? I think you mentioned me in Europe you worked with him.
0: Yeah. Uh, he went on to be a sports psychologist on the European tour. Good guy. And it was mainly like getting rid of the noise. That's, I think, why I've got so much admiration for Tiger. So, But the noise for me was you. you play a certain hole. And I had processes in place. And I had ways in which to obviously with breathing to calm yourself down and stuff. I wasn't very patient. I'm just not a very patient person. So that was a constant reminder for me. Like every yardage book I had would have like patience. Now, what that means in golfing terms is pick the flags you go for and don't be an idiot. And obviously as time's (laughs) gone on, you know, there was a great podcast with Harry Higgs and he wouldn't even some tournaments he was playing, he wouldn't even fire with a nine iron at a back flag. If he didn't feel like he had his game, I was playing, I played in a qualifier for the Qatar masters, Back in like early 2000, I played with the guy who went on to be rookie of the year on the European Tour. And when we finished, I was leading. When we finished, I didn't get in. He just said to me, how much money you got in your bank? And I'm like, what what do you mean? And he's like, well, you play millionaire golf. And I was like, what does that mean? And he said, there's not one flag you didn't go straight at today. Like, how do you expect to get in the tournament when we're playing for one spot? And yet you're bringing double bogey into play on every hole because you're firing at every flag. Like that's, and that's what I mean by patience. You have to have that. One of the nuggets that we would do, it was when iPods had first come out and he would give you a download that you would put onto your iPod. And it was basically a form of meditation that you would go through the night before the round you're going to play. But it was about making your own persona be as big and as strong as you can be, which then ties into physically doing that work in the gym. But also like, if you're playing a par four, and it's 475 yards and it's tough. What's the best score you can make on that hole? And I would obviously initially answer that with like, well, I'd hit driver down the left side. Let's say it's a dog leg to the right. And then you know, there's water on the right. So I'd probably fire like a five wood or a two iron or depending on where the wind is at the left side of the green and try and two put. He's like, yeah, but what's the best score you can make on that hole? And I'm like, well, I guess I could make birdie. He said, well, what's the best score you can <laughs> physically make on that hole? Sounds like
2: my coach growing up.
0: He's <laughs> like, can you reach the hole in two? I said, yeah. He said, so you can make a two then? I was like, yeah, I can. And then you start to work on that. And that was when I really had some success sort of as a pro because then I was like, okay, I'm standing still in a tough hole. There's money on the line. But if I can reach the thing in two, I can make a two. So then you get rid of all the BS because then if the drive's got... You know, out of bounds down the left and trees on the right. Well, you're going to make two. You got to hit the fairway. So the first thing I got to do is put this ball in the fairway. And then before you know it, you commit to the shot and you put it in the fairway. Second shot, you commit. What's best I can do? Can I reach? Yeah, I can hold it. So, you know, you just start to think so much clearer.
2: Well, that's the great challenge, right? Try to like in the moment on any different round, on any different hole, in any different situation. What am I capable of? And maybe what am I not quite capable of? Right. And just managing that and committing to that because it's a balance of whether you call it playing smart or dialing it up. And it's, but what it's you,
0: but what you're talk not, about that. Yeah. And what you're not capable of sadly changes as time goes on because you build this memory box of stuff you've not done well, which really shouldn't impact you at all. But for some reason, which is where I've gone wrong with my golfing journey, it, it does. I don't give myself. I worked with another psychologist, very famous one. And he would talk about having triggers, like both of them actually did it. And I would carry a coin with I still carry it today. And they were like, Graham McDowell was uber successful when I was doing all this. And McDowell's trigger would be to tap his foot or to touch his shirt. And they're like, you need a physical trigger to charge your positive energy. So I used to rub this coin before every shot, because that was supposedly going to put you in a positive state. Um, but at the end of the day, they're like physical triggers to get you in the right place. And I think when you walk away from the game like I did, playing it for a while, and then you go back to playing it, you somehow latch on to the negative stuff instead of focusing on, well, I've played this tight lie pitch before, which you know nowadays is in something that generally doesn't matter. But in your mind, you create it to be bigger than what it is, which if you dumb it down and you go through your process, it's not, we're just out here having fun, but you've made it to be, and I think that's how the yips come about, which people don't even talk about, but I think that's how the yips come about, because you put so much pressure on certain shots. Like, I remember I've had the yips and suffered with it, and I remember the first time I ever did that was actually a putt to win a tournament that I made, (laughs) and it went in, and I won it, and I'm like, I went home that night rather than being stoked about the wind thinking something fell off on that. And then it never came back until I mm. was Q school. And I, again, I made the putts, but I was like, okay, this is a weird feeling. How do you deal with this? And in the end, ultimately, I think that's probably why it was an easy decision to walk away from the game. Cause I was like, this is no longer fun.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny Trotty. And I know we'll, we're almost at time. We'll get you out of here in a couple of questions here, but, it kind of reminds me of the Mo Norman video you posted that we reposted from you today, which was, what do you think Mo, when you're over a shot that matters? He's like, I've done it before. I can do it again. Yeah. Right. But ha-
0: but, there- but there's a man who you know, obviously people would pass by and wouldn't give credit to, but if you follow and listen to Mo's stuff, the lessons are all there. It's as simple right. as right. can be. And it- it's like, Even the little bits the Faxon puts on, whether you like his putting teaching or not, or other great players who've done great things well, you know, they're always moving. They're never static. They're always connected with the target. And I think if you can treat golf like a game of tennis, like I I went and had a little knock the other day of tennis with a kid and we get out there and it's like the kid's an athlete and immediately picks up tennis. How how does a kid do that? And then I take the same kid to the golf and same thing happens, immediately picks up golf because there's no... Clutter and the problem right. is this journey that myself and Matt have probably been on. It seems sounds pretty similar. You want the whole picture in the viewpoint that the whole picture is going to make you a better player, but if you see the picture through one lens, the picture never changes and you actually don't muddle the picture. That's why coaching kids and young people who've got talent, you got to be so careful and just do it when you're at the country club or wherever you go and play golf or the golf club, and you just listen there's so much negativity. The whole yeah. game played on, what can I do wrong? Well, hang on a minute, you could win. Can, <laughs> there will be one winner every time you go and play. There will be one. Yeah, and the yeah. guy who comes second, he's hardly lost, has he? Just one person's done better than him. But mm-hmm. the game is, is it beats you up because it's about your failures rather than your successes. But the people who are successful, like Mo, focus on what they do well rather than what they do poorly.
2: Well, I mean, Trotty, I mean, it, we kind of want to end on a high note here. And I know you might have another question, but, it's safe to say, and i not speak for you, you probably disliked the game when you quit playing professionally or like you didn't have a good taste in your mouth. But what about now? What do you love about this game? What have you found out about this game that is powerful and positive for you? Because um, sure there's low points for like all of us. Me too. Like you just, the game will kill you.
0: This game, the best way to put this, this game is, it's everything to me, to be honest. And it's like, I've lived a life And the only reason I've had everything I've had in life is because of golf and the people I've met and the friends I've made and the highs I've had and the places I've seen and the jobs I've had. And it's all because of golf. And I now play, which is well advertised on my own social channels at a public golf course in Oceanside. That is as ground grassroots as can be. And it is, I'm having as much fun there as I had at home at Hoy Lake playing on what has become an open championship golf course and is, you know, a beast. And I'm now playing a 45, 5,000 yard golf course that is tricked up and funked up. And I'm out there with guys from all walks of life, from different parts of the world. And I'm, I love it. And I think that the thing golfers golfers is my life and without doubt, and it will be, and I'll never work in anything else. And I don't want to, and I'm very acceptant of that and there are challenges to it even now and there are levels and things that I hold myself accountable for and I would like to be the jovial me that I am on a golf course but the problem is is the child in me comes out and I still want to win and that I like that about it oh, I yeah. just want to get it a different way um but I think that's the thing for me. Like, golf's my life. And I think that it's taught me so much in life and for everything I do in it. And it's like I'll always be thankful for that. And I'm glad that my old man took me down to hit a few balls when I was a young kid because it's it's been everything. I don't know what the hell I would have done without this game, to be honest.
1: Trotty, everything you've said in the last 15 minutes kind of reminds me of like the fine line between offensive and defensive golf. Like it could be One change of your perspective, one reminder, one trigger where you're playing with immense fear and shame and all of this negative, heavy, cluttered stuff to reminding yourself that you get to create a shot. Like Parker McLaughlin came on our show, Short Game Chef, and said, I get a chance to make this putt. Like, how cool is that? Right? And so I I think that was a good reminder maybe to end today is you're not that far from playing offense again. And the only good golf comes from playing offense, really with anything in life.
0: Your golf swing and everything you do is your fingerprint. And it doesn't change that much from when you start and become an accomplished player to wherever that takes you. But your mindset changes what version of you turns up every day. Mm. That is what you have Mm. to understand. We, we yeah and and, and i now at uh, the age i'm at i'm learning that and colin morikawa knows it now and has known it better than me for several years so you wonder why colin morikawa is the player he is and why so many of us go through mini tours have a decent career but don't quite make it we didn't do what colin's able to do in spades and it ain't anything to do with getting the club here or here or here <laughs> it's all to do with here all of it for sure
1: yeah well, love if you guys it. aren't following Trotty, it's at Trotty Golf, one of our favorite follows. So this was great to get you on. We'd love to do it again at some point, and maybe we're going to shoot some content as well down at that tricked out course in San Diego you talked about. So yeah,
0: for sure, I'd love to have you both down there whenever we can work this out. And uh, thanks so much for taking the time, boys. It's, uh, it's always good to talk about golf with guys who love to get.
1: Thanks, Troy. This is great. Thanks, Troy. Thank you. Hey guys, this is Evan. Real quick, before you hop off the train, I got something for you. It's called the Train of Thought. It's our new email newsletter. Would you like to get one nugget, insight, or thought that we're pondering every week that could help keep you sharp and help your mental game? Go to thepartrain.com and subscribe to the Train of Thought newsletter today. It's really the best way to enjoy the ride. See you guys.